Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, that is Philippians 4, verse 8. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining us for, oh my goodness, the 12th bonus episode in our series, What Every Adoptive and Foster Parent Needs to Know About, and it involves trauma and FASD, uh, with our very special guest, Dr. Jared Brown. We have been covering important topics for all of us adoptive, foster, and kinship caregivers. So grab a notebook and a pen. You are going to want to take notes. I am. Uh, If you can read them, that is, because I just am scribbling so fast trying to get it all in. But, you know, feel free to pause the podcast right now so you can go grab a notebook and a pen uh, and then, you know, start listening uh, or just listen through. And then when you realize, oh, there were things I wanted to remember from here, um, then you can listen a second time, right? That's one of the amazing things about podcasts. You can listen as many times as you want. So you can go back through again and take notes. Um, so either way, but you're going to want to really um, just take in all of these amazing episodes that Dr. Brown is bringing us. Regular episodes of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey drop into your inbox on Mondays. This series with Dr. Brown are bonus episodes that we are dropping on Fridays. Now, I will tell you this, something we just discovered recently, because we put out two podcasts a week between the bonus and the regular, um, and we've been noticing for our listeners who may be listening on Apple or Google, there's something wonky going in um, or going on and um, on on our devices, because I listen, I would listen through Apple. I haven't seen any of the new podcasts uh, since the middle of September, which is pretty um, alarming for a podcaster. Um, They are out there. They are on um, Podbean. You can get them on Spotify. You can go to um, our website, justicefororphansny.org. They're all on there, but for some reason, they're not all loading to Apple and Google. Even though the system is telling us that they are loading, they're not showing up. So um, if you've missed some episodes, uh, you know, be, be aware that there are two episodes a week since September. Um, and uh, we're, we're just we're trying to work that out. We've got the folks um, who know about these things working on it because um, my gift is the gift of Gab. I don't do any of the tech stuff. So um, we don't want me doing any of the tech stuff, but we did discover a problem and we're working on it. Um, but I want to make sure that you're not missing any episodes. So be aware that since September, we've been dropping two episodes a week, a regular one on Mondays and the bonus on Fridays. So be on the lookout. And if you think you've missed any or if they're not showing up, um, go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, and you can click podcast and find all of our episodes there. Um, but hopefully by now, by the time you're hearing this, it has been resolved. But if not, we don't want you missing any of this important uh, content. Um, and if you're not yet a subscriber, uh, I would sis- sincerely appreciate it if you would take a moment and subscribe, even leave a review. It really does make a huge impact because when you subscribe, um, and especially when you leave a review, um, it makes the podcast easier to find because it signals to that, you know, infamous algorithm that this is important and people want to hear it. Um, So it brings it sort of to the top of the search list, right? So it helps other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers find us. And we do believe this is a vital resource um, for this parenting journey. And we want to make sure everybody has access to it and knows about it. So please, um, take a moment, subscribe, leave a review. And you know what? When you see us post, because every week on social media, 
we post um, who the guest is. Um, share those posts so that others can find it as well. Uh, and also, you know, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you have a comment, if you've been encouraged by this show, if you have a question, if you have a topic you would like us to address or a specific guest you would like us to interview, please reach out. You can contact me directly uh, at the website or at the my email, Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. Now to our returning guest, uh, Dr. Jared Brown, PhD, is an assistant professor for Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jared has also been employed with Pathways Counseling Center in St. Paul for the past 17 years. Pathways provides programs and services benefiting individuals impacted by mental illness and addictions. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for the Advancement of Forensic Studies and the Editor-in-Chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Jared is also certified as a youth fire setting prevention intervention specialist, an anger resolution therapist, a thinking for a change facilitator, a fetal alcohol spectrum disorders trainer, an autism specialist, and a mental health integrative integrative medicine provider. That is a mouthful. No wonder I get tongue-tied. Um, and I've been introducing him every week. Please welcome the wonderful Dr. Jared Brown. Hey, welcome back, Jared. Hey, Sandra. How are you doing? I am doing great. I can't believe this is our 12th episode together. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> and I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us, um, your work and research and knowledge um, that you're providing. So important for parents and, and, and caregivers. We're learning so much. I know I am. So and, and I'm sure our listeners are. So thank you so much for just all, all that you're bringing to us here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. Well, thank you. And I know last week we talked about cognitive flexibility, the stick shift for the brain. I love that analogy. Um, today, we're going to discuss another brain task, information processing, and how trauma and FASD impacts how the brain processes information. I know my two boys with FAS really struggle in this area. They have slow processing pace. So, um, Jared, so like break it down for us. What is the definition of information processing? What is it exactly? Well, it's it's really think of it as the way in which we can process visual information. So if in the classroom and there's lots of charts on the wall, there's like visual processing where people use their eyes to look at information and then it goes into their brain and try to make sense of it. There is verbal processing. So when when someone's like in an interview or sitting in a classroom or sitting with a therapist and it's the person with FASD, how do they take in that verbal information they're hearing from someone else and then to kind of make sense of it? And then there's other dimensions of it as well. We don't have to get into the weeds with all of the various dimensions, but it's basically the way in which we take in information and make sense of it and, and use it and process it and interpret it and recognize 
crazy patterns and behavior. And there's a lot of things that information processing is used for. I mean, mathematics, reading a book, accomplishing any kind of goal. It also plays a role in inhibition, our parking brake. It plays a role with working memory. It is a vital component to decision-making and problem-solving and conflict resolution. And it even plays a role with perspective-taking. So we talked a lot about executive function in, in this series. When, when we think of information processing, it's a component of cognition, and cognition is executive function. And under the umbrella of cognition, you're going to have things related to communication ability, our ability to concentrate and stay focused and have good attention. Cognition relates to impulse control, components of memory and planning, organization and reasoning, but processing. And understanding information is a component that falls under that umbrella too. So, so we have information processing. Maybe we take in the information, but do we really understand what we just took in? And I'll give you a couple examples throughout. I, I can think of one case I consulted on several years ago. The person had lower information processing and really took 20, 30, 40 seconds to respond to a question. Again, there's a lot of other things this person was dealing with, but a big component, slow information processing. This person, if people were, were patient and took their time and said words in a slow manner and, and not rushing through things, that person did pretty well comprehending, just needed a lot of extra time. People that didn't take their time, who were rushed, who were impatient, who followed up with rapid fire questioning because they thought this person either didn't hear them or didn't want to answer the question. Those things overwhelmed her working memory. It contributed to more self-regulation issues. It even contributed to more sensory processing issues. So the best way, I always use this analogy when we're thinking of information processing. And you, I don't know if you can tell today I'm talking slower because I want to model information processing. I have a tendency to talk really fast in, in podcasts and things like that, and that can overwhelm people. We slow down. And when people have problems in this area, just consider you're driving down the road and you're stuck in rush hour traffic. That's what happens in the brain when we get too much information. Maybe things stall out, come to a standstill, and all of these things just pile up. It's like a bottleneck. And what happens, you keep putting more and more information in there. Sometimes the dam can break open and all this water floods out. And when it floods out, when someone has information processing weaknesses, it can come rushing out as irritability, anger, loudness, sometimes rage. It can come rushing out too where the person gets so tired, they just shut down and it looks like they're almost falling asleep. And it kind of can appear that the person's very sluggish. It could even look like they're apathetic or they could come off as very indifferent. Because their brain now is not working, they can't take in information. So their brain's kind of maybe adapting to that and just shutting down and shutting down systems for a little bit, saying, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, too much information. It can cause confusion. It can amplify stress. The list goes on. And when we're not taking in information, then good luck trying to do homework or good luck trying to teach a an intervention or good luck trying to give a consequence. It's not going to work. And if you keep pushing through that, that person could become even more dysregulated by hyper arousal, loud and boisterous and irritable and moving around. 
or hypoarousal, almost falling asleep and seeming like they're unresponsive to what you're trying to do or say. That's a basic overview. I'll talk a lot about what factors can negatively impact this and some other things we just want to be aware of. But I wanted to park the brakes, pause for a second, and if you have any thoughts or questions. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I really, again, it right away brings to mind my, my boys with fetal alcohol syndrome because this is a very real thing that, you know, I've come, I, di I didn't realize I never even heard of, you know, a, like a child having a slow processing pace, um, having a hard time processing information. But one of our kiddos got tested a number of years ago um, through the school district. And in uh, the, I think it was the speech teacher actually showed me how, um, you know, it, it's like when given verbal instructions, um, my son often would only pick up some of the words, like if it was too many words, he was only going to pick up a few of those words. So you might give him a list of things to do. He's only really going to remember maybe the last thing you said, because he couldn't process all of that information. Like every, like it was like every other word is all he really caught or the last couple of words. Um, so I know that this is really, um, you know, information, information processing is affected by, um, uh, being prenatally exposed to alcohol, um, and and I'm assuming trauma plays a role. Uh, so so Jared, would you um, how how you know what effect does you know prenatal exposure to alcohol and trauma have on the brain's ability to process information? Because it's clearly I know it's a it's a it's a characteristic of an FASD. Prenatal alcohol exposure damages parts of the brain responsible for executive function, but it's not just the brain. Prenatal alcohol exposure can negatively impact the entire body. So it's a full body disorder, in my opinion. Obviously, look to the brain because that guides behavior and all that stuff. But prenatal alcohol exposure can make a person look like they have ADHD or they do have ADHD. In addition to FASD, that's the number one co-occurring disorder. I've seen statistics put it as high as 90% of people with FASD meet diagnostic criteria for ADHD. Memory can be impaired, multiple facets of memory, lots of different memory components. Planning can be impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure because planning is a component of executive function. We spoke about cognitive flexibility last time. That is impacted self-regulation, abstract reasoning, problem solving, unfortunately increases in learning problems. Sleep problems are very common among people with FASD. Sensory processing issues are very common. And unfortunately, the list goes on and on and on in terms of the, the consequences caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. And again, the question always comes up, how much alcohol is needed to cause these issues? I don't know. I honestly don't. There's studies out there that look at it. I, I don't know how you would ever know for sure because so many things have to happen. There's biochemical individuality. There's metabolism. What kind of alcohol was it? Was mom also smoking or using drugs? Was she having alcohol, but also having really good prenatal care and doing other things to maybe help mitigate? But what we do know, any kind of alcohol during pregnancy is not a good thing. So staying away from it. If someone's pregnant or even considering to get pregnant, that's what a lot of the kind of national organizations indicate. Because even a small amount of alcohol from research has been shown to impact different areas of functioning. Now, obviously, if someone's binge drinking and having really hardcore alcohol, that's probably going to have way more severe effects than someone that had one glass of wine during their entire pregnancy. But still, I'm not advocating for anyone to have alcohol during pregnancy because it's just not worth the risk because we just don't know. And part of that is don't smoke. Don't use drugs, manage your stress, good 
good prenatal care, eat healthy, all the common sense things that we all know people should be doing. Does that always happen? Of course not. There's a lot of factors of socioeconomic factors. Maybe some people are on the verge of homelessness and poverty and they just don't have access to good, clean drinking water, good, healthy food. Maybe they don't have insurance. Maybe they're in a domestic violence situation and their partner is not allowing them to leave the house. So there's so many other factors at play here. But when you throw trauma into the mix, it's just an amplifier. Everything that I just mentioned that can be caused by prenatal alcohol exposure as a deficit, extensive and high levels of trauma and toxic stress can also cause a lot of those things. And when you combine prenatal alcohol exposure with other kinds of trauma in utero, and then the child is born, and if they're born into an environment where they're being abused or there's neglect or constant stress and chaos, that can wreak havoc on the developing brain, the body, the immune system. It can impact growth. So it's just amplified. And without a doubt, people with high levels of trauma, their information processing can absolutely be negatively impacted. And you brought up something that reminds me to at least mention the topic of auditory processing deficits as well. So information processing, auditory processing, you got to understand both. Auditory processing, somebody who has that typically is going to appear to be more distracted. They have a real difficult time following directions or rules. So on the surface, it could look like that person is doing this intentionally. But what happens if they have auditory processing and the teacher or whoever it is, is talking about rules and that kid is only picking up every third word, they're going to miss things. So their intent isn't to violate any kind of like rule. But on the surface, it looks like maybe they're doing it willfully and maliciously. And maybe then they start get labeled as a child that might have disruptive behavioral patterns when in fact, if you dig deeper, something else could be going on. Auditory processing issues can contribute to organizational deficits. Lots of forgetfulness. So if you notice someone's always forgetting stuff and they're just absent-minded constantly, could auditory processing issues be a factor? Maybe. That inability to understand speech is a component of this. Having a difficult time distinguishing between similar sounds can be a red flag indicator of auditory processing. So someone's in like an auditorium and they have to listen to some concert, something like that. And there's a lot of competing sounds that can be tricky and overwhelming. So those are a few things you want to consider with auditory processing. Back to information processing. So information processing, when it's working properly, use it to take notes. So if someone's sitting in a classroom hearing a lecture while simultaneously taking notes, that information processing is a big component of that. Test-taking abilities are impacted when someone has information processing. Just the lack of someone not seeming like they're paying attention and they seem to never listen, like listening deficits, that's all wrapped up into this too. If someone can't multitask, could that be an information processing issue? For some too. So say someone gets overloaded with their information processing quickly, that just lowers their stress tolerance. So a red flag indicator too is someone that becomes overwhelmed easily and has low stress tolerance. And maybe they have a real difficult time keeping up with a conversation. So they're always having breakdowns and interpersonal dialogue with other people where they're conversating with that person, but what they're talking about is not matching the conversation at hand. So for younger kids, they're not going to know what's going on. It could be a factor in kids pulling away from that individual because they think that person just doesn't care to listen or they're odd or they're just always distracted. 
So then it could be a factor for bullying and teasing rejection. And then that can contribute to sadness, isolation, loneliness, depression. All of these factors can just continue to amplify these problems we're talking about today. Yeah. So this makes me think of, uh, so, so many of our listeners are, are adoptive parents, foster parents, kinship caregivers. So, um, you know, high likelihood that they're parenting, we are all parenting kids, um, you know, with trauma for sure. Um, and high likelihood of prenatal alcohol exposure. So what does it look like? Um, you know, can you, can you kind of paint a picture of us for us of, you know, a kid in school, how would, you know, what would it actually look like if a kid had um, information processing challenges, um, slow processing pace? What would parents be seeing that maybe in teachers that maybe they don't really realize is slow processing? Test taking issues, um, falling behind in class, um, just never seeming to be at an age appropriate level with other kids. It can really look like a lot of distraction or inattentiveness. So some people might say, oh, this person looks like they have ADHD when maybe there's something else going on. Procrastination, it could look like that on the surface. Motivational deficits. Be on the lookout for error processing deficits too, where the person consistently maybe makes the same mistakes over and over again, where they don't learn from their mistakes because maybe they're missing the instruction and they just don't know how to self-correct. Performance issues too. So really paying attention to how that person performs in whatever it is. I mean, it could be in anything, sports or class or around kids. If they have a lot of performance issues and they just don't seem to perform well, their decision making's off, they just can't seem to multitask. Transition issues can be a factor with this. Struggling to really incorporate feedback provided by other people and then use that feedback to make adjustments. So being on the lookout for performance issues. It can get in the way of reasoning skills. So reasoning is a component of problem solving. Creative thinking is a component of reasoning. Our ability to learn like conflict resolution and learning how to negotiate, reading the situation of others and just having good mind reading skills and perspective taking. Information processing deficits can get in the way of all of those things. We're going to talk about planning and organization next week, but definitely pay attention to that. If you see somebody that has planning and organization and time management deficits, consistently, those are executive functioning impairments. And information processing can be one factor of many that gets in the way of someone not showing on time for appointments, forgetfulness, misplacing items, toys, never seeming to keep track of their car keys, being on the stove, walking away for a half hour and coming back to a stove that's on fire. That would be a factor for information processing because they're taking in a lot of information and they just forget their memory got overwhelmed. These are things to consider. Lack of perspective taking in some cases, again, if someone's taking in a lot of information, they could be 30 seconds behind the conversation. And for some people, conversations move quite quickly. So on the surface, it could look like this person really is perspective taking and it could come off as the person almost seeming like they're socially aloof or they struggle with empathy when maybe they don't, but maybe their brain is just 30 seconds behind everybody else, but it's just not lining up with what, what's going on. Poor behavioral competence too. Be on the lookout for that. We know pretty much everyone with FASD is going to have social skill deficits, which is a component of adaptive functioning. And if someone deals with executive function, which everyone with FASD does, that can trickle down into poor behavioral competence. And if you have poor behavioral competence, information processing speed weaknesses need to be considered. Do they have impulse control problems? 
Are they dealing with some working memory issues? Maybe there's some decision-making. If they constantly struggle with goal-directed behaviors where they never achieve their goals, considering information processing is one variable. But I'm pointing out there's so many things. It's not going to probably be just information processing issues in isolation. There's usually all kinds of other stuff going on, especially when we're talking about FASD and trauma. I mentioned the rule following a little bit ago. Again, looking at patterns of rule following problems. So could be confusion. It could be they just struggle with multi-step instructions. So again, their brain gets overwhelmed. They're distracted and they're not paying attention. Maybe they have abstract reasoning deficits where they have a hard time connecting the dots, seeing the forest through the trees. They have very rigid black and white thinking. Sleep deprivation has been linked to rule following problems. Receptive language problems too, which is another big component of what we're talking about today. If someone has receptive language problems, they have a hard time taking in the, the language from other people, especially during like an interview or an assessment or a whatever, an evaluation. Memory problems need to be taken into account as well as their auditory and information processing. Another topic that I love talking about but most people have never even heard of this or have had training on. I give lots of trainings to professionals. Almost every talk I give, when I talk about this topic, they've never heard of. It's called sluggish cognitive tempo. Sluggish cognitive tempo resembles signs of inattentive ADHD, but it's not ADHD, where it looks like the person is very sluggish, apathetic, they have slow information processing. So that's why I bring this up today because there is research to show that people with sluggish cognitive tempo have slower processing speed ability. They also have poor memory retrieval and they can move slower too. Like they look very lethargic, a lot of underactivity, and they can have a real difficult time initiating and sustaining their mental effort. So sluggish cognitive tempo, huge topic. There's actually been numerous studies written on this a lot comes out of the adhd literature some on autism some on traumatic brain injury and multiple other disorders there's only a couple articles in the fasd world that i found that they even mentioned this topic and it wasn't a sole focus of the article i am not aware of any empirical based articles that specifically have looked at fasd and sluggish cognitive tempo the couple articles that do mention it just kind of mention it in passing that this is an issue for this population, but I think it's just based on their own observations. For some clients, some cases I've consulted on, they absolutely, without a doubt, have characteristics of this. But if you're a researcher listening to this, this would be a wonderful topic to dig into because I suspect that this is probably elevated in people that FASD, if it's elevated in people with TBI, people with trauma, people with other neurodevelopmental disorders, I suspect we probably see it sometimes when people have prenatal alcohol exposure. Sleep is another component you really want to take into account with this. The very nature of not getting a good night's sleep can slow our processing speed. I've, I've done, I've noticed this with myself. If I haven't slept, the night before that well, I have a hard time listening to my phone and typing. And when I'm hearing a voicemail for a phone number, I have to sometimes replay it a couple times when my brain isn't processing. In the afternoon, then I usually exercise. So after I run, I do it again. My brain is quick. Something with the exercise shifts it really quickly. I've noticed that for me personally. And just getting a good night's sleep can help. Obstructive sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing has been shown to affect this as well. So there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can definitely impact this. Child abuse, types of trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, even brain fog symptoms and mental fatigue, all of these things have been shown to 
really negatively impact information processing. I'll kick it back to you, Sandra, if you have thoughts. No, this is great because I, and I'm seeing such an overlap because, of course, the executive function piece, right? All a lot of these things fall in that category, um, which is which is highly affected with prenatal exposure to alcohol. So, um, you know, kind of that's where my thoughts always go. And again, so many of our listeners are parents and caregivers. So, what can we do? Like, if our child has FASD trauma. Um, has has um, executive dysfunction, so they're challenged in all of these areas, including this slower processing pace. What can we do to help our kids? Like I know, I know one of the things that I keep in mind is, I mean, you know, in I've I've got eight kids, and many of them are adults. So in my early days of parenting, especially when I had teenagers, it was the lecture, right? You got a very long lecture as to why you shouldn't have done this, and how we're supposed to do this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I have learned with my kiddos with FASD, um, I'm wasting my breath on the long lecture because they're not hearing half of it. So it, it's it's lost on them. Like, I'm, you know, I might feel better because I gave the lecture, but they really didn't receive any of that information. They didn't really take it in. Um, so I've learned even, you know, even with one of my boys, it's really short scripts um, especially for very important information that I want them to remember. Like right now, one of ours is is good words, good boundaries. Like I'm reminding him of that all the time. Um, but you can't give a big, long, you know, I can't give a big, long, you know, several sentences explanation once I know he understands what I'm talking about. We've kind of narrowed it down to this script. Um, slower, slower, you know, going slower. Like I've learned you know, just to kind of not not jumble it up with a bunch of words, but a simple script, um, and even not to expect not to not to bark off a list of um, okay, get your homework done, and then you're going to help with dinner, and then after dinner we're going to do this, and then I need you to clean your room, and you have to set your clothes out for tomorrow. Like if I give this big long list of expectations, you know, maybe one of them will get done, but not all of them. So. Um, you know, so I've learned just to, to, to slow it down, use less words, give them extra time to process it, to make sure um, that they understand. Like I, I even know, like if I ask a question, sometimes I'll get like, I don't know. And then a little while will go by and then they'll actually give me the answer. But it's almost like the I don't know is just buying time until their brain can figure out the answer, can process it and, and, and give an answer. So so um you know, those are some things that I've that I've come to, to adapt um, to help my kids. But what are what are some other things that we can do as caregivers to help our kids if they have a slower processing pace? Everything you said spot on. The work you have of people that work with child or teenager, making sure they become FA informed and looking really looking through that lens because if half the team doesn't use these approaches, things can slip through the cracks. Focusing on an executive functioning lens and approach. I think, so maybe it's working with a therapist who understands this or hiring the services of an executive functioning coach would be suggested. I think it's also important to rule out sensory processing issues because that could be a factor at play. So maybe it's working with like a, a sensory processing specialist and occupational therapist. Language deficits need to be considered. So maybe you're working with a speech, language, and communication pathologist. Ruling out developmental immaturity. Everyone with FASD that I've ever known does not function at their chronological age. So making sure, again, you're matching the approach to their social, emotional, developmental age. Teaching social skills. I think that's helpful. Helping the person become more self-aware. And we didn't talk about choice making today, but that can be impacted with, with this population, especially with information processing. So if you're giving multiple choices, that can be tricky. They may struggle with making a choice. So understanding choice making can be impacted. I think it's also important 
to rule out any memory problems. So that would you, you do that by working with like a, an evaluator, some sort of therapist who has training in, in this area, those kind of things I think is very, very helpful to do. Sleep, if sleep is off, oftentimes again, our processing speed is going to be off. And a couple other things to an FASD lens is what's their verbal skill ability like? Do they have a lot of super superficial chattiness where then it gives the impression to everybody else this person really understands what's being said and everyone just assumes but no one fact checks and verifies and then this person continues to make the same mistakes over and over again and then everybody in this person's network then now is confused and thinking this person is just again maybe not following rules adaptive functioning imperative ruling out and being on the lookout for confabulation and suggestibility you might see that more with information processing issues too because what happens maybe it's a student in a classroom they're dealing with some of these information auditory processing issues they're catching every other word every third word the teacher now calls on the student the student doesn't want to admit i don't know what you're saying and their brain backfills their memory with something that's made up. And now they report something that might not be true, but they believe it to be true, aka confabulation, false memory creation, which has been referred to as honest lying in the literature. Be on the lookout for suggestibility and gullibility and naivete. Suggestibility is very common among people with FASD. So if they're dealing with information processing issues too during an encounter with a police officer or whatever, be on the lookout for suggestibility. These are things absolutely without a doubt need to be on the lookout for. I pulled together just a, a mental list of things that clients have seen me over the years that seem to help them. Going for walks, deep breathing, yoga, staying sober, learning how to be present, so that could be through meditation, mindfulness. It could be from prayer. It could be from reading a book where it helps them get grounded. Help them practice positive self-talk, self-compassion. These are all things I've heard from people that have been helpful for them to, to manage some of these things. But we need to be aware of what's going on. And if you don't have a good evaluation and you're not FASD informed, a lot of these things may not work to the best of their ability as well. Wow. Well, so many of those things that you listed um, in, you know, kind of focusing on, um, you said check for sensory processing, consider language and speech, um, dismaturity, the social skills, memory problems, like all of those things. Um, like at least one of my kiddos struggles with all of those things on the list. Um, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, slow processing pace is just one more of those things on the list. Um, so is it, is that true? Is it, is it like a list of things like, like would it come on that list? Um, or is it, you know, can it, can it look like these other things, but yet it's the slow processing space space uh, pace what, what would you say yeah I, I mean it's another another area on the list i mean i would put it as an, an important component of the list i would probably bold it maybe the list of 20 things i would definitely bold this one because if you have information processing and you can't take in information and make sense of it that plays a critical role in learning. And if someone's in therapy and the therapist isn't detecting this, a lot of times therapy is not going to be successful and that person may be prematurely discharged for lack of effort or noncompliance when in fact maybe their brain is just not taking in the information in a way that the therapist thinks they should. So we need to modify our approaches we need to be on the lookout for these red flag indicators. And I think if you're working with people, the 
any job, any capacity, if you learned about information processing, it's helped me become more patient, more understanding, and more curious when people are not getting something. And if we can dig deeper, maybe we're there's a missing link there that no one's picked up. And if we can pick this up early on in that person's life, that could avoid a lot of challenges and problems for that person down the road. Because if these things aren't picked up, that person oftentimes will go through life thinking they're stupid and not good enough or defective. And everyone just thinks they're they're not worth their time. These are things I've heard from adult clients where a lot of shame sets in. After you dig deeper, you find out they're they're highly intelligent. Their brains aren't just working properly. They need modifications. And if we can do that early on, I think it can set that person up for greater success. And by no means am I saying FASD is going to be cured by any stretch, but there are a lot of things we can do to make it better. Yeah, there's a lot of accommodations that we can uh, implement to help our kids be successful. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes we don't, and I know sometimes I feel like it can look like they're being lazy, um, or they're not listening. Uh, and I know I gave the example on one of our conversations, you know, I was, you know, having a serious conversation with my son, who's now 17, um, about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, trying, trying my hardest to keep it super simple without using a lot of words, but after, and he, you know, and he would, his response a lot of the time was, I know, I know, yep, I know. But I started realizing, mm, I don't think he really knows. And when I asked him, you know, do you know what appropriate means? And he, he said, N- no, <laughs> you know, so, you know, just because the individual says, I know, I know, I know, doesn't mean they really are, are getting it. They're not, they're not necessarily you know, really receiving that information. Um, so I, I always find that I need to check. Um, but, but that, you know, really trying to keep it short and come up with those short scripts. So that way, you know, when he goes out, if he's going to youth group, if he's going um, to, to school, it's, you know, use good words, good boundaries. Um, because with the memory problem, he doesn't always remember the rules, even though I try to go over those rules every day. Um, because he's, you know, as a teenage boy now, I'm finding that, you know, good boundaries and appropriate conversation, um, within a group, you know, is, is, is are things that are, are super important and he just doesn't get. So that can be scary, especially when you, when you have teenagers, um, because they can really get into trouble. Like you said, you know, if they were questioned by the police and there's, you know, sometimes confabulation, suggestibility, um, you know, th- they have a hard time with all of that. Yes, they sure do, unfortunately. Mm. So any any um, case study that you can share with us? And do you have any more on on uh, on information processing? Yeah, I mean, I guess from the suggestibility confabulation, it's really taking that into account because that can result in miscarriages of justice. And educating the judicial community about this. I've had clients and cases I've consulted on where it has been a huge legal system. If someone's sitting in the courtroom as a defendant with, with information processing, the very nature of being in court stressful in and of itself and confusing for anyone. Someone with an FASD brain, if no one knows FASD, that's very problematic. And during cross-examination, if someone had to testify or even be a witness to a crime, their brain doesn't move as fast. So I think there needs to be a paradigm shift in the legal community, too. Unfortunately, there's a a good chunk of folks with FASD that do come into contact with the criminal justice system for a variety of reasons. It could be from committing a crime to being a victim. But if you're working in the justice arena child protection, child welfare, any of the helping professions, substance use treatment, mental health treatment, you're probably coming into contact with people with undiagnosed FASD on a semi-regular basis. So becoming FASD informed in all of these helping professions is so vital. And most of my work in the area of FASD is around the criminal justice forensic legal side. So I do lots of trainings in that area. 
And a lot of times when I give talks on this, I've heard stories from audience members saying, why do I need to learn about FASD? I work with adults. It's only a kid disorder. That's a misconception that I hear sometimes. Well, I don't work with anybody with FASD because they don't have abnormal facial features. That's another huge misconception. And the research says that 90% of people with FASD do not have any outward signs of facial feature characteristics. Only about 10% on the spectrum do. And let's say it's a child that has abnormal facial features. As that child gets older and becomes an adult, sometimes those facial features are even more difficult to detect. So this gets even more complicated when you're working with adult populations as well. Yeah, because they don't outgrow it. So even if they are a child with it, that doesn't mean they suddenly turn 18 and everything's better now. They don't graduate from school and then graduate from FASD. It's a lifelong invisible disability. So um, we definitely need everybody in the community um, to be FASD informed, um, definitely. Uh, so as always, Jared, you've provided a ton of information. It's hard for us to process it all. See what I did there? But <laughs> we can listen to this episode again to catch anything that we missed or we might want to hear again. I always encourage folks to take notes. And if you didn't take notes the first time through, listen a second time and take notes that time. But as we wrap up, um, you know, I always ask you kind of for the top three things because there's so much great information. But if we if we only heard some of this and we're going to walk away, you know, what are the top three steps parents and caregivers can start doing today to help our kids who may have executive function challenges and they, you know, most likely have slower processing pace? Get a good evaluation. We got to know what's going on, first of all. So get the evaluation, get data, share it with the team if appropriate, make sure the team's FASD informed, get sleep under control, because most people that have FASD have sleep issues, most people with trauma histories have sleep, so get the sleep under control. And once you know what's going on, do everything in your power in your network to avoid multitasking and really slow down the pace of the questions and fact check and verify. I think it's very important because also often people that FASD will give the head nod up and down. Yeah, of course I get it. Or if you're asking yes or no questions, true and false, that's very bad in my opinion because they mask these deficits, fact check, verify and really teach the person it's okay to say I don't understand I can you help me learn that's part of self-efficacy self-determination independent living all of those things well those are great great places to start great things to keep in mind for sure Dr. Brown thank you yet again for unpacking another vital subject for us I'm looking forward to our next episode when we discuss another executive function, uh, planning and organizing. Uh, I know that's something my boys with FAS really have trouble with. So I can't wait to hear you unpack that one. Uh, so again, Jared, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Absolutely. You're welcome and look forward to talking next week again. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today for this special series with Dr. Jared Brown. Um, wow, today's topic of information processing is such an important topic uh, for us parents and caregivers to understand, um, especially those of us with children who've experienced trauma and prenatal exposure. I know when, when Dr. Brown was talking, so many of the things he was describing, um, that's, you know, at my house every day. Uh, so I, I wonder, you know, are you, did any of that resonate with you? Let me know. Um, and because uh, it's so relevant and, and, and really, I, I know we talked a lot more about it in this episode, the importance of being FASD informed, us as caregivers, as well as those working with our children, um, whether it be the, the team at school, um, speech therapists, occupational therapists, teachers, um, even bus drivers, pediatricians, the dentist, 
um, counselors, social workers, everybody who is who comes in contact with our kiddo, um, the, the babysitter, you know, everybody, the grandparents. Um, it's so important to know because um, if not, it, we're just really um, our kids are not going to be supported well otherwise. And then we will end up seeing some of those secondary and tertiary characteristics of FASD, um, which um, many of us probably experience as well and not re realizing that it's really coming from um, the primary characteristics that are not um, being accommodated and our kids are not being well supported. So, um, so important to be FASD informed. Uh, so be sure to join us next week when we talk about the brain and planning and organizing more executive function tasks. You know, if you've got a kiddo who you send them to their room to clean their room and the room never gets clean and there's always tears and always consequences and always an issue, you're probably dealing with a kid who has some executive function challenges. Planning and organizing is a big part of what the brain has to do to clean a room or to do any chores or to do homework and organize time. Um, and our kids have challenges with that if they've been prenatally exposed to alcohol. So um, you're going to run a catch next week's episode as well. Remember our regular episodes of this podcast drop on Mondays. Be sure to catch those along with these bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. If you enjoyed the show again, be sure to let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know about it so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped also. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We also offer resources and support for parents and caregivers struggling on this journey. In addition to our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community that you heard about earlier, we offer an introduction to FASD training. It's an online or in-person uh, training that I offer. Um, it's a 90-minute training about FASD for parents. Uh, we will be offering one of these sessions uh, on October 27th online. Um, so you can check out our website for details on that. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about FASD, um, whether your kid is, kids may be diagnosed or not diagnosed, or some of this stuff is resonating with you and you're starting to think, this might be my kid, um, I have a great 90-minute introduction to FASD um, workshop that I do, and um, you can sign up for it on October. It's October 27th, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time, uh, so you have to register for it in order to get the Zoom link to tune into it, um, so make sure you do that, um, and you can do that at our website, justicefororphansny.org. Um, to get to this specific training, you'll want to click events at the top of the page and you'll see the training listed. Now, I'm also in the coming months, we'll be adding our facets workshops as I'm now a facilitator of the facets neural behavioral model. So if you go to our website and look under trainings and click FASD, those will come up. There's not one scheduled right now, but as we get some interest we're going to be getting those on the calendar um, and I can do those in person and online as well. So all of our trainings, all of our resources, everything we have is at justicefororphansny.org. Also, you can check out my book. Um, I wrote a, our family's adoption journey, kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my award-winning book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It won a Golden Scroll Award for Memoir of the Year at the Advanced Writers and Speakers Conference. Um, Orphans No More is available wherever you buy books. Um, if you order it on Amazon, I would really, really appreciate if you would go back in there and leave a review. Those are like gold to an author. Anytime you read a book, I would recommend that you go back in there and leave a review for any author. Um, but if you'd like a signed copy of my book, which includes a special gift bookmark, you can order that from my personal website, sandraflack.com. Uh, and also, just always like to give a shout out to our business sponsors that help us do what we do at JFO. Uh, so we thank Trinuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Cooksaki, and Coleman Insurance Agency. 
These businesses care about children and families in crisis. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find me, yours truly, Sandra Flack, on both platforms as well. So once again, I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.